Hey there. We're Megan, Lauren, and Lindsay. We're three teacher advocates who've been where you are and know what you're going through. We believe that teachers are as important to the education system as the curriculum, and our goal is to support you as a teacher and a person. This is everything your teacher prep didn't prepare you for. Welcome to Real Teaching 101. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Real Teaching 101. This is Megan, even though I just realized that my name is still saved as Lauren in our Zencaster link. So sorry about that, Brandy. We have a special guest with us today, Brandy Rosen from Teaching Untangled. Hi, Brandy. How are you? Hi there. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to get into all of the things you have to share for us. Before we jump into some some of my questions I have here, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, I've been in education for uh, coming up to 30 years now, which I can't believe. Um, I have been primarily in the classroom. I started out um, in special education. I've worked with students with severe behavioral emotional disorders and autism for a lot, you know, a lot of my experience. I've also um, kind of focused a lot of my um, time as an educator in the area of behavior. And so I do a lot of work in behavior and classroom management. I've also been an administrator um, through special ed. And so I've been running, writing, you know, everything IEPs for, gosh, the last uh, 15 or so years, I think. And then most recently, we started a new program, which has been really fun. And it's taking the behavior support that we've been primarily um, doing in general ed and special ed and moving it into general ed and really supporting those kiddos before they move to assessment and supporting teachers in that area as well. So, you know, I've kind of gone, I've gone from left to right, up and down and, and covered most areas in that time frame. I've worked with preschool all the way through um, post-secondary 18 to 22 year old. So I've loved every minute of it. And, uh, you know, and every minute's been a struggle at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if any um, comment better describes teaching <laughs> than that. Exactly. You can love it and you're exhausted. Yeah. So it sounds like you've quite literally done a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. I love what you were saying about bringing those resources into the general education classroom. So is that something you're working on with your district? How did you guys come about to do that? Yeah, actually, it it is through my district. And I'm also doing um, a ton of private classroom management trainings for districts in, in the state. But it came about because we actually got some uh, grant money for COVID kind of just to, to catch those kids that, that fell through the two years. And so we decided to focus it on that area to try and slow down referrals a little bit. And primarily the focus has been sort of our TKK one, two area, just because those kids came, you know, over the last few years, as I'm sure we all know, mm-hmm. have come yep. with a lot of deficits in behavior and learning to learn skills. And, you know, they just missed a lot of developmental pieces along the way. And so 
we wanted to really provide that support and make sure that they, you know, had that extra bit so that we weren't jumping right to assessment for special education when it could just be that they needed a little bit extra right now. So mm-hmm. that's what we've been working on. It's been it's been really exciting. I wish there was a way to like broadcast what you just said. I I get that we're on a podcast, but I mean like <laughs> universally to everyone because I feel, and just in like this small little section of children I see daily, Mm -hmm. exactly what you described happening. I am worried that there's a lot of, um, a lot of things being kind of uh, grouped into learning disability. (laughs) We've got some kids who have never had a regular school year. Yes. Like they're trying to go into second grade and they've never ever had a school year that, yeah, wasn't like at least partially virtual or something right. of the sort. Along with that, they've missed so many of those um, opportunities and experience that allow them to be really productive learners. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it looks like there's learning issues, but really it's just that they haven't really learned to be a learner. And so that's the piece that we need to, you know, step back and which is of course tricky and And, uh, you know, I'm saying step back, but the reality is, is there was no time to step back. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd be working with first grade teachers and I'd be saying, like, you kind of need to run it like a kindergarten because they haven't had kindergarten yet. And they're like, but we can't because they're going to second grade next year, you know. So there's a lot Mm -hmm. of trying to balance all of that out while making sure the kids get what they need. And it's tricky. It absolutely is. And even before the pandemic, I feel like. I I taught for 13 years. And even over that time, it was, you could kind of see changes happening, like whether it's in the standards or or just the curriculum, you know, coming from different big publishers. But it was like, oh, these were things that kids used to learn in second grade, but now it's part of the first grade curriculum. And so I feel like even before the pandemic, we were kind of (laughs) like, you know, rapidly pushing them along. And this was just kind of, I mean, not that any of us expected it, but like, it, I, would, it, I feel like it is very evident. Right. And, and I think that's absolutely the truth. It's it, it, the kids, so many kids were struggling with that reality anyway, mm-hmm. especially the younger ones, because what used to be typical in kindergarten is now being looked at as special needs, mm-hmm. you know, when they can't sit or they can't attend when 10, 15 years ago, we wouldn't have expected them to do that. And so it does really target kind of those, I mean, I say at risk, though, I don't, I don't really think they're at risk, they're at risk based on the system that's in place. But then, of course, you know, going to school online for whatever, even even if you were, you know, lucky, and you were back at school pretty fast, it was still a block of time that they missed. And a lot of those kids missed preschool that would have gone to preschool, but they didn't go to preschool and, and all of that. So it's challenging. And then they're coming in with behaviors that were appropriate when they were home. And that's what, you know, we've been doing a lot of talking about with the, with the teachers I work with. It's like at home, when they were online, they could get up whenever they wanted. They could go get water whenever they wanted. They could get a snack whenever they wanted, even if they were on a Zoom, right? Mm-hmm. And it's hard. The way they're acting is as if they were home. Exactly. So they get up, they go, they do their things. They're used to somebody being right there to help them. You know, there's just a mm-hmm. lot of people that have pushed teaching to an even harder place right now. <laughs> I had one of my coworkers said when we finally got students back in the building, she told me they're having a hard time going from me back to we, oh, that's you know, great. 
Yeah. So not having like that instant person right there. Cause you know, even somebody who might have siblings at home, like, so maybe you have one, two, three siblings, but in a class, you're one of 30, you know, having to wait for the teacher's attention or, or to be able to help you open your glue stick or whatever. Oh, and I God. thought I was like, yeah, that's a really, really good point. And so that brings up something that I'm hearing a lot about right now. And I'm guessing you probably are too. And that are that's the struggles people are having with classroom management. Mm-hmm. And this can be like a hard thing, even in like perfect teaching conditions, yeah. right? And so, but now you put on top of that everything we've been talking about with the pandemic and just all of the stress in, in that's happening right now in education. Right. What are you suggesting to teachers to improve that classroom management. It's it's really, really interesting how much that has jumped to the front of kind of the concerns that, that most teachers are having. And I think that the change is that where it used to be that you would set up whatever, you know, whatever you had in your classroom, and it would work for 95, 97% of the kids in your classroom, even if it was just a simple marble jar or whatever. Most of the kids were ready to work within a system. And then you might have one or two that were a little bit challenging. And now the one or two has moved to five, six, or seven. And the old tricks that were pretty rock solid just are not working enough. And so last year I I worked with a first grade teacher who I think was her 18th year. She's a great, amazing teacher. And she just was, it was really a hard year. And I said to her, everything that you're doing used to be perfect. I mean, this is exactly what we would have recommended, but it's just not right now. And so we have to adjust to the kids that we have walking in the door as opposed to trying to keep fighting to get things the way they were because they're just not going to be that way. So when I work with teachers, I talk about classroom management as sort of an umbrella under which a lot of pieces come into play to really get your classroom running well. And so I, when I'm working with teachers, we look at all the pieces that go into it. So it's not just a lot of times people will think, you know, oh, classroom management is just like a marble jar or, you know, kind word Mm -hmm. jar or something like that. And again, in the old days, that may have been enough, but it's just not anymore. And so we look at everything from looking at your schedule of your day based on the group that you have. So, you know, where it used to be, maybe you could sit for 15 minutes and, you know, read a story. Maybe with this group, you can't, or maybe after lunch, you just can't get anything done like you you could before. So, you know, we look at scheduling, we look at the way that we set up the classroom, meaning do they have to be out of their seats all the time to get anything done? Is there a clear pathway so they don't have to tap on everybody's head as they walk by? (laughs) You know, like even so simple things like that, we'd look at, you know, setting up behavior systems, both class-wide and individual, if they need that in their classroom. Looking at engagement and how we use that to keep kids on track and keep your management under control. We look at, you know, learning to learn skills, uh, all these different pieces, because just one alone is not going to do it right now. You really have to look at all those pieces based on the group that you have. And my feeling is we're looking at about five years of this uncertainty of what the classes are going to be like when they come in. And then we'll probably hit whatever our new normal is, but it's going to, you know, it's going to be a little bit, it's going to be different. Like one of the teachers that I was working with, what we figured out and we just didn't even, we hadn't really thought about it was that the behavior 
that was most interfering. Well, there were two behaviors that were most interfering. And at first we thought it was all the obvious ones, like calling out and things like that. But what we found was that it was independence and problem solving. And so because the the kids just hadn't had enough exposure to any of those, then all day long, all she was doing was answering questions, redirecting, figuring out, helping them work through. Where do I put my name on the paper? What color should I use? I don't have the right crayon. All of those pieces. And that's what was kind of, that was taking over her day. And so when we figured that out, we took a step back and we kind of retaught those skills because they just didn't have them. And so it's really kind of pulling all those pieces together and taking the time to do that, to slow down and take a step back when you need to um, so that you can, you know, really move forward where you want to go. And that's just exhausting. Yeah. Like those little things. I I only ever taught in the little kid classes, first and second grade, but those are the things where the constantly repeating yourself and, you know, repeating the directions and feeling like a crazy person because I finally think like everybody's ready to do this thing. And then I go, you know, to put in my attendance and I turn around and there's 10 of them standing there like, what are we doing? Can I ask your opinion on on something that I have a lot of opinions on? And that's the like clip behavior charts mm. in the classroom. That yeah. sound... <laughs> Yeah, no, no, also no, no. how I feel about them. I, I am, I thankfully, you know, I'm starting to see that more people are moving to having concerns about it. And okay, so the, you know, okay, so I have concerns. <laughs> I come from a really behavioral background, and I am all about reinforcement systems and putting all those in in class. These are the problems. What we know, research wise, across the board, is punishment actually doesn't work to bring about long term change in behavior. That's a given. So when you move the clip down, it is a punishment. I mean, it, it is. And so that's yeah. not, it's not really doing anything to change the behavior. So that's part of the problem. The other part of the problem, which is probably my biggest part, is that there, there is no exception for kids who have not learned the skill. And so I'll give you my kind of spiel on how this works. So let's say you have a kid who can't read right? And, and you're, you know, in your class and you're asking all the kids to read aloud. You call him the kid to read aloud. He can't read and you punish him and you say, move your clip down because you can't read. Of course you wouldn't do that, right? We would never dream of doing that. But we do do that with behavior where, you know, there's always going to be the couple kids who are going to be the kids that get their clip moved down all the time. We know that. That's what we've seen because they don't, they haven't mastered those behavioral skills yet. And so then they are the ones that sort of always take the quote unquote hits when the clip charts are in play. The kids, the kids with appropriate behaviors, it's easy, right? They're just going to, you know, th they'll be fine with it. But that's always my biggest concern with that. I think it's, I mean, I have strong feelings. I think it's really shaming period. Like I yeah. just, as a kid that you would, I always think about, I, I think about this as an adult, like if you're at work and you did something wrong, you know, as we all do, if you had to stand up in front of your whole faculty and be yeah. shamed about it, like it would be horrible. We would never do that to adults. We would never do that. So there's no. just so many better options. There are. And I'm I'm with you 100%. I think about that. Like, I wouldn't even want to stand up as an adult, literally move a clip down. Like, yeah. that exactly would not want to do that. And I definitely years ago, had a behavior chart, just like everybody else. But I feel like it's one of those things that's the, a good example of the when you know better, you do better. Yeah kind of thing. But I do know there are people that are out there that are still kind of stuck in that 
mindset of like, well, this has always worked before. And so that's why I love what you said about how it's like, we've got a different breed of children. Like they've got a lot of different challenges now and none of us ever had to live through a pandemic and do virtual schooling, you know? So how I was kind of, when, when everything first started and all of a sudden they were like, oh, here's this expert on uh, virtual. And I'm like, how are you an expert? We're all in this. Right. We just (laughs) all started. Exactly. So I feel like there is such a big learning curve there, but what would you say, what could be more of a positive pivot, if you will, or shift from those behavior charts for the people that like, I don't know, kind of have that like super ingrained in their teaching practice? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, there's a lot of good room in classrooms for reinforcement behavior programs. I I, I think those are important. The way that I have teachers set up, and and this is based on, you know, all my years of working with students with behavior challenges too, is that, you know, you have an opportunity to to earn based on a targeted and pre-taught skill. And so what I mean by that, so I'm working with a teacher right now and she's, you know, got a wiggly class. And so that for her is really her priority. And so we started kind of a ticket thing in her class where first we taught what calm body looks like. And we defined it for the kids and we practiced it and we had fun with it where they got to do it the wrong way and the right way and and all of that over a few weeks and so that they knew what that was. And then they decided what they wanted to work for and they are working for a popsicle party. And, and every time she catches the class showing calm bodies being really cool, then they get tickets. And so she targeted just that one behavior because a lot of times what happens is we do things like, as teachers, we say, you know, okay, you know, you're going to get whatever table points for, you know, being a good student or being, you know, that's one thing I'm always weary of for really general things. You know, I bring it back to, again, as adults, because I think that's good for us to to relate that back to that. Like if you went to your job and nobody told you anything other than like, go, you know, go to this room and go do your job. And they never told you what was expected of you. And then you got in trouble because you weren't doing what you were supposed to, but you didn't know. That's kind of what we do for kids a lot of times where it's like, oops, you weren't doing this, but we didn't define what that was. We didn't tell them what we were looking for. And especially, you know, as kids transition from classroom to classroom, because what paying attention looks like to me might not be the same thing as what paying attention looks like to you. Getting my attention, I, I might not mind if you get up and talk to me where another teacher might only want you to raise your hand. We need to teach all of those skills just like we would anything else. And then you get a lot of bang for your buck, so to speak, if you're then, you know, making it fun and they get a lot of positive feedback around that skill. I love that. And as you were talking, I was thinking about, I have a little special friend right now who is having a hard time keeping his hands to himself. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And as you were talking, I kept thinking of like, you know, I have said to him, like, you need to be a kind friend, be a kind friend. But I don't think I've ever explained like, you know, a kind friend does not poke their friend or does not pinch somebody or, you know, that kind of thing. We all do that. And yeah. especially, you know, in the younger grades, we do a lot of that, like, you know, be a good friend, be a good student, right. whatever. But like I said, and for kids who don't, have those sort of behavioral building blocks, they don't know what that means. And so I had a really funny story where a teacher was telling me that they had a kid, they had a student and they had been saying, you need to use kind language to him. And he kept calling his friend a punk and they were like, you need to use kind language. And finally he was like, 
that is kind language. That's what my brother and I say to each other. Oh. And it was like, and she, she was like, duh. Yeah, of course. I needed to explain exactly what that meant to me. You know, I needed to tell him what I need in this classroom because he was so confused because he was like, but that is like lovingly, that's what they call each other. So that's what he was calling his friend. Right. So it's really important that we are super clear and not assume. I mean, you have 15, 18, 25, 32 little humans in your, little or big humans in your classroom that all have different experiences. They have different understanding of things. And so I just think it's really important that we, I always, you know, come back to the idea that it's fair if we tell them exactly what that means or else we can't really hold them accountable for that. And I feel like, like you were saying before, when it comes to some of those behavior chart kind of things, if you're just kind of judging everyone off of the, you know, be a good student, what would you say for like a general education classroom where the teacher has students in there, like thinking about like the, you know, wiggly students, like if, if there's someone in there with a ADHD diagnosis or something of the sort where that's very difficult for them. Are they still, I, I keep, I'm, yeah, I don't want to no, say I know what you're saying. You know like, what I mean? Can we, can we hold them to the same standard? Yes. Thank you. you know. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And no, and that's, that's a great question. It's like, <laughs> it's that same idea. Like if you had somebody who, a, a student that was blind, you couldn't right. hold them to the same standard as a student who wasn't blind. Right. And they wouldn't get in trouble for walking into a wall because they can't help that. So you have to both continue to teach sort of what that calm body looks like for them because they, certainly as they're younger, they're starting to teach themselves, you know, a little bit how to regulate and you want them to know what it is that you're looking for. But then I also like really giving some different kinds of options for kids. So that's been probably one of the biggest behaviors we've been dealing with. And so one of the things is like really think about where you're placing them in the classroom. That's that's mm-hmm. a biggie. So if you're on the rug, you know, a lot of times teachers will put those kids right in front of them, but that at the same time, that means they're right in the mix of everything. So that's yep. not always the best. And think about how you can like incorporate some options for kids so that they don't stand out. So like one example is I a lot of kids, and, and it's not only like the most ADHD kid, this is true for a lot of kids. So if you sit on the rug, I, I always, and I, and then I encourage the, the teachers that I work with, I always have two or three chairs that are kind of around the outside of the, the rug so mm-hmm. that kids who feel like they need more like structure can sit in those chairs. And so then now the student that I need to sit in the chair, I'm going to make sure they sit in the chair, but then everybody's rotating in. So it doesn't make them stand out. Another thing that's been really successful with some some kids who really like top 10% in not being able to kind of manage, and, and a lot of that comes around the, that whole group time, mm-hmm. is I, I have them, the teachers will put together like a work packet of some kind or just crayons and a piece of paper, and they allow them to sit at the table that's right near there on a chair and just kind of color while they're listening because most of these kids, almost everyone I've ever seen, they can certainly be coloring and listening. It's actually better for the way their brain works. And so, you know, just thinking of some things like that. And so that they're not always, again, being, you know, put in a situation where we know that they can't be successful. Consider more breaks and consider just in the whole, like how long are you expecting your kids to sit? And is it developmentally appropriate? I mean, that's, I've been really running up against that a lot lately. Um, Kindergarten teachers that have 
kids on the rug for 45 minutes. It's like, oh there's my gosh. Just, yeah, there's no way any kid, but this kid, there's you're just setting them up for failure. So I think that really just focusing on, you know, what can we do to make that a little easier for them? And really staying, this has been one of my things I've been working with a lot of teachers this year, staying away from making those kids, what I call quote unquote, the identified patient mm-hmm. and being really careful that we're not constantly pull, you know, pointing to what they're doing wrong. Yep. Because it can be all day long. And so if we know that they're going to be squirmy, we don't need to say it in front of the group 15 times during during group time. We need to figure out how to do things differently because if not, then all the kids start to see that particular student in that light. Can you tell everybody, so you've been talking about how, where you help and support teachers. So is this through your website? Yeah. So I have some... Um, I have some courses and memberships through my website, which is um, teachinguntangled.com. And one one of the things, one of the offers I have, which I love and has been really fun and a lot of teachers have found super helpful, is what is one of my memberships, and it's called Classroom Management Untangled. And it's a 12-month membership, but you can join it anytime. It's not just like a school year. And it has 12 different modules of all those things I was talking about, like all the different areas that that we look at as kind of falling under the umbrella of classroom management. And there's video trainings, and there's a ton of content that you just can print and use. And that's really, you know, my whole focus on everything that I provide to teachers is that it makes their lives easier. And I'm not, I mean, I've sat in my fair share of uh, <laughs> EDs where you're like, I, first of all, I'm never using this. And second of all, I'd never have the time to even get this set up, even if right. it were good. And so that's not what this is at all. This is like print and go and use and be ready to go. So, and then I do live uh, like office hours where people can hop in and ask questions about things that are going on. So that's been really fun. And, and I, I also do that as a um, one day live training for school districts, which also has been great. And then there's just, I have a, I have, um, you know, a special ed untangled, which is another membership. I have an IEP course that really walks people through writing and running IEPs. And that's really been super helpful for teachers, new teachers. And then I also have a behavior course, which again is another, um, it's called bite Size behavior. And it's, it's just another self-paced course where you can go through and really learn simple, a simple process of setting up a behavior system. And then I also have tons and tons of free resources and blog posts and podcast interviews and all kinds of things on the website. The idea is really that teachers can go to one place to kind of find everything they they need as opposed to just, you know, going to Facebook groups where you don't know if the information you're getting is going to be helpful or not helpful. And um, so, yeah, that's that's been really fun. And I use a lot of, you know, what, what I found successful working in the field and working with teachers to then create, um, supports for people who are, you know, all over the country. My whole focus is on everything that I do or create or present is always super concrete, super easy to follow, easy to use. It doesn't take a master's degree to try and pull through it and pull <laughs> everything out and, and, you know, hours and hours of prep. That's, that's the idea. So. Within the courses, I know there's the modules. Is there like a community board thing or is it, do you connect with people one-on-one? I connect with people one-on-one, but we do come together at, during office hours, I have live trainings. I have like a classroom management boot camp where we come together and are able to share information. It doesn't have uh, like Facebook groups anymore because I found that it was better to have more structure to that so yeah. that 
you know, people's questions were getting answered in a way that was helpful and concrete and it didn't get, you know, kind of taken down the wrong path too. Yeah. And I always love that because I'm a person who doesn't have Facebook. And whenever <laughs> I see those and like, I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm going to pay for this thing. And then I can't even get yeah. into the Facebook. No, yeah. I love that. I love that. Even more so now is teachers just don't have time. Right. For all that, they they like need you to give them what they need, and then they can move on, and then come back with questions. And so right. that's you know what I have found over the years to really be the most helpful. Yeah, and that's like the you know joy behind the self pace, where it's like right. you're not behind, you're not you know nope. you don't have to read this thing by Friday. Nope. Yeah, I love and you that. have you know lifetime access, so you can go back, you can do some of it, use it, go back to it, and it's made. Yes, it's made to work for you in whatever your situation is. I love that. And so that is, is that more focused for like individual teachers? But you said, do you also do trainings for districts? I do. I do. Yeah. I, on my website, there's a, there's an area that says for, for schools or for districts or something. And it has all the uh, large group trainings that I do for districts. So it's taking a lot of what my, what the programs are and then um, adapting them to what school districts do. So like, for example, the IEPs Untangled one, you know, one of the options is what I call the book club option, which people love. And so mm-hmm. like, I'll do a live training either virtual or in person. And then after that, then we kind of assign modules to do within a certain amount of time if they want. And then we come back together and then we kind of work through those as a group. And so a lot of school districts like that because they want the PD to like spread over a certain amount of time or they want it completed within a certain amount of time. And then we come back and then we discuss and then, you know, sometimes people say, I don't agree with this and I want, let's talk about it. Should we do it this way? And it's just really nice interactive. So there's some of that. Some of it is just one day, you know, full day trainings, PDs. I do like a classroom management boot camp, which is a full day, but it's like a make and take. So by the end of it, they've basically put together, you know, their rules and their procedures and their behavior part, you know, they've kind of got everything ready to go. I love that. There are so many PDs that I've sat in and I'm like, okay, so, you know, I teach first grade and like this is for like middle school math kind of thing. So anything that I think is tailored for people like that, that is going to be very helpful. So question, if in the perfect education world, Mm -hmm. is there either one thing or one kind of behavior technique maybe that you would love to see in every single classroom? I mean, honestly, I think that the the, the thing that I would want to see is the thing that makes the, all of the difference, which is clearly defining what behavior you want to see, then practicing it, and then reinforcing that behavior as you move through. And if you build on that, then you almost have no... By like week eight, you're like set. You are really set and good to go. Um, I think that we rush through and we just skip over a lot of that. We feel a lot of pressure to move on. And then we don't define the behavior. And I can't tell you the... So I guess if if there were one thing, it would be that everybody would kind of move to that approach of really defining. So even like you were saying, you know, moving off the good student idea, um, you know, right. banning that from our language completely and instead defining what does that mean and what does that look for like for you. And, and I, and again, I think if you just keep coming back to like what's fair to kids, then it's easy to readjust your thinking about that. Now, would you say that this is something that teachers should be continuously doing all year long? This is not just like a beginning of the school year thing? 
Absolutely. I think the reality is that we, you know, a a few things happen. We get a little bit loose, the kids Mm -hmm. get a little bit loose and we have to come back and that's fine. And a lot of times things change and develop. And so you just need to go back and kind of review and practice. And sometimes you need to change and that's okay too. You might end up with two new kids, which kind of throw the balance off. And so then you're like, uh, I want to change, you know, my transitioning procedure because it's not working. Or the other thing is that so many times we have this idea that like whatever we start off with in the year, that's what we need to stick with. But a lot of times we find it just doesn't work. And so you might spend the time at the beginning of the year and teach things and get systems in place. And then you realize those just don't work for the kids that you have this year. And so then you have to go back and redo it. And that's okay because that's, we, we learn, you know, we, we can't know until we have the group that we have. And so I think that when, when I walk into really great, amazing teachers' classes, doesn't matter what time of year it is, you see them practicing their procedures, practicing their behaviors, you know, re, redoing them, doing a little bit of modeling, just touching on it to make sure that everybody is still fresh and remembers how to do things. I love that. And I feel like definitely lately I've seen a lot of things online where if, if teachers are maybe complaining or venting about student behavior. I see so many people are like, oh, well, it's your classroom management. It's your, you know, you got to have that classroom management. And just like what you were saying earlier for the students that you kind of have to define what that means. I think that same thing needs to be done for teachers because there are so, that was truly kind of like the whole preface of even starting this podcast and with our little line of like everything your teacher prep didn't prepare you for. That was one of those things where it's like, yeah, relationships. Yeah. It's pretty shocking how not, not in any way bad mouthing teacher programs. They have a lot to go through, but um, that the lack of behavior and classroom management. Yes. That's included. teach that's even relatable in any way is it's upsetting (laughs) because these teachers come in and they feel like failures. And I will always tell them, this is not your fault. You, you were not taught this. This is like, we're sending, you know, surgeons into surgery after one chapter on, (laughs) on how to do the surgery. It's like you, there's no way you would know. And so much of it is, I mean, I even remember from my years ago, so much of it is like theory and that's important, but it doesn't get you, like, I would love it if every teaching program had a full semester on the nuts and bolts of classroom management. It would be, I swear, I think it would revolutionize, it would completely change education. And I always felt that way too about like communicating with parents. Yes. I, I don't have any memory of like a single one of my education classes that really got into building that team with parents and and being able to effectively communicate and then not to even, you know, didn't even get anywhere near like the challenge of when when you have people who are not willing to communicate with you and all of that. Well, thank you so, so much. Um, Can you you tell everybody where can they find you, your socials and maybe your uh, website one more time? Yeah. So um, my website is teachinguntangled.com. And then you can always email me. That's sometimes the easiest way at brandyrosenconsulting at gmail.com. And then really the, the social is uh, Instagram and it's just teaching untangled. So pretty easy to follow. Thank you so much. I know already what I'm going to go look at on your website. <laughs> so, well, thank um, you so much for having me. It was really fun. Of course. Good luck this year. Thank you. You too. Before you leave us today, know that you are appreciated and we know you're doing everything you can. Let's stay in touch. 
Follow us on Instagram or Twitter at RealTeaching101 or email us at RealTeaching101 at gmail.com. This podcast is produced by Ambitious Ed. Thanks for listening today, and we'll see you next class.